Welcome everyone to today's devotion. We're in First Peter chapter three. First um, Peter three, probably the more recognizable chapters of the book, mostly because of the household code uh, at the beginning of it. So in verses one to six, he addressed wives. In verse seven, he addressed husbands. Um, uh, there was a pastor I used to listen to a lot uh, back in high school who always said that um, um, he he gives more. It dedicates more space to exhortations towards wives than he does husbands because women talk more. However, with that said, verse 7, which is geared towards husbands, is full of content. So uh, even though it's not balanced just right, um, I don't think that Peter's really saying anything there. But notice uh, he says there, verse 1, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle, quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. This is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good, and do not fear anything that is frightening. Now, Chapter 3 clearly connects us to uh, the last portion of chapter 2. The word likewise there in the ESV makes that very clear. That he discussed two issues you may remember yesterday. Obedience uh, and submission. Uh, and and this discussion of submission at the end of chapter 2 bleeds into household codes. This is typical of what Paul does. If you read particularly Ephesians 5, uh, we spent some time on this then. Uh, that Paul will speak in general terms about holiness and submission and then apply them uh, to specific uh, areas of our lives, namely uh, the home. And Peter does the same thing here. So when he says, wives be subject to your own husbands, he's already established an attitude of submission uh, for believers uh, in general. And so he's saying that take this this uh, uh, general application and apply it to your marriage. Right? It's basically what he's doing. But you see what he's 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 um, uh, emphasizing here. One is uh, conduct. Uh, so even if you have an unbelieving spouse, uh, now that the implication here is that the wife became a believer after the wedding, because um, the Bible's clear about not being unequally yoked. Um, but uh, conduct. Uh, among non-believers, which he mentions in chapter 2. This is now applied directly to the context of marriage. Uh, Verse 3, that beauty is not just something that is manufactured on the outside, but is demonstrative from from the inside. So that's, again, conduct, beauty, um, and also uh, to to live by hope. So uh, this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting themselves uh, to to their husbands, and then he he has a lot to say to husbands. So again, the joke is is he's wordy with 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 uh, his exhortation towards wives, less wordy when it comes to husbands, because uh, men as general want bullet points. What's the bare minimum? Let's get it done. Move forward. Um, and uh, maybe that's what Peter's doing. I 
I don't know. But he says, a likewise husband. So that word likewise means that much that what was said uh, for wives is now applied to husbands. So the question is, if, if men and women, believers, are to submit to one another, what does that look like within the home? Well, the wives, this is what it looks like. Husbands, this is what it looks like. What we typically do is we only want to isolate what the Bible says towards women in order to make the Bible sexes. And, and if we read the Bible as it presents itself, I think we will come to a different conclusion. Uh, so, so husbands are called to submit themselves to their wives um, in, in, in a serving way as well. So husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. There's a lot there that time will allow us to, to explore. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so your prayers may not be hindered. Let me deal with a few things here. First of all, that, that to love is more than... Um, the simplistic definition, particularly men often give it, uh, love is often confused with lust and infatuation. Or in marriage, love may, may be something like, I've been faithful and I provided and I protected you. What else you want from me? Uh, Peter says it, it needs to be at a more intimate level of understanding. This is why you've heard me say that intimacy is more than physical, uh, which is what society wants it to be, but it is spiritual, mental, emotional. So live with and love your wives in an understanding way. So, so your marriage should be to better know your spouse. Um, and, and this would be true for both husbands and wives. And then he suggests honor uh, your wife as the weaker vessel and people uh, throw fits over that. And I don't quite understand why. Uh, actually, I mean, it makes sense in light of the transgender nonsense, doesn't it? Um, that there, there was, a, I think in the UK, they denied a woman playing rugby with professional men. You might as well put her there at, at center in, in, in football or wide receiver in football. Or, you know, it's, 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 there, there is a difference between men and women. Um, but one of the things we were missing when we speak of the weaker vessel is how it ends. It's weaker vessel. Now think about it. If, if I say something is bigger, that implies that whatever it is I'm comparing it to is big. If I say someone is smarter, that still means that the person I'm comparing them to is still smart. Okay? So too, uh, when we see in Genesis, we talked about this on Wednesday nights when we were going through Genesis, that when um, um, Eve is said to be a helper, that implies that Adam needs help. Right? This is how language works. So if, if the wife is the weaker vessel, that means her husband is still weak. Right, um, and so um, I, I think we need to, uh, 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 you know, calm ourselves down whenever we, we read some of these texts to understand what it is saying and what it isn't saying, and you can't interpret a passage apart from the rest of revealed scripture. Uh, but you'll notice that that though he uses the language of weaker, he still uses the language of equality, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. So, so theologically speaking, there is equality. There's neither male nor female, Jew or Gentile. Uh, at the same time, there is distinction among the genders. Well, 
starting in verse 8, he, he, he's, he's moving back to his main theme, that of suffering. So if we were to look at Peter broadly, and we've done this in other contexts, the two issues you may emphasize would be suffering and holiness. And we've seen that in each chapter so far. But starting in verse 8, he's going to return back to this theme of suffering. So verse 9, for example, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you are called that you may obtain a blessing. Now, uh, this is similar language to what we saw at the end of chapter 2. Remember, we spent some time in chapter 2 uh, they're talking about Christus exemplar. That is, with Christ as our example on how to suffer well. I've, I like to read that passage with families who have just received the news of a tragic and sudden death of a loved one. Uh, that, that we can look at Christ and see how he suffered. Um, and uh, that is what we do. So that same language is used here. That we don't repay evil with evil. That is a vicious cycle that only gets worse as you go. But rather, we bless... For, for this is what we were called to. He goes on in verse 10 to quote the Old Testament. Whoever desires to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue for evil, from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Now, now let's just pause there. Now, if we just simply uh, practice that exhortation right there, how much better would our lives be and would our world be? I mean, think about it. If you applied that alone, if you want to see good days, guard your tongue do not speak evil, and you just apply it to your online presence, how much better would your life be? How much better would this world be? Why do we surround ourselves with people who use their words uh, for, for vanity and for destroying us? And this is true online. This is true in person. It's true of our relationships. And why do we engage in tearing people down and getting worked up and spreading misinformation and, 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 and getting people stirred up? All that. Why, why do we do this? Why? If you want to love life and see good days, let's start with how we use our words. Then he goes on, verse 11, Let him turn away from evil and to do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And so if you want to love life and, and uh, see good days, guard your tongue and, and pursue righteousness. It really isn't more complicated than that, is it? That is the Christian ethic in a nutshell. Guard your tongue, pursue righteousness. Okay. Now, this is, again, in the context of suffering. Now, this is why context is so important. Because he says, when someone does evil to you, how do you respond? You bless, you don't curse. Because if you want to see good days and love life, even amid suffering, guard your tongue and pursue holiness. What we typically do is we, we, we use suffering... And, and oppression and whatnot as a license to, um, to, to, to speak evil and to do evil. That is not the biblical ethic. He goes on, um, verse 14, Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, 
having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. Notice what he's doing. We can state, and I think with some accuracy, there's two big themes in Peter. Suffering and holiness. But what he does constantly is he says, no, we're actually talking about the same thing. If you want to suffer well, grow in holiness. Because even amid suffering, you pursue holiness. And that is the key to perseverance. And that is the key to evangelism by means of suffering. Too many of us want to keep those isolated. But Peter won't let us. And that is why books like this are so helpful as part of God's canon. Hope to see you guys here tomorrow. We'll look at chapter 4.